Hello and welcome to Spark to Flame, where we bring you ideas, insights, and inspiration for better marriages. I'm Rob Shaver, and I'm joined today by my wonderful wife, Cassie. And today we have another guest, uh, Dr. Chris Thurman. And so what uh, we are going to do is we've got a chance to speak with Dr. Chris Thurman, who is the author of most popularly a book called The Lies We Believe, and more recently a book called The Lies We Believe in Marriage. So we have uh, a chance to speak with Dr. Thurman over the phone, and we want to share with you over the next 30 minutes our interviewing of him. All right, so we've got Dr. Chris Thurman with us today, and we're very excited about that. Uh, you've authored uh, at least seven books, um, and maybe more to come. We'll we'll talk about that later. Uh, but okay. um, you know, a lot of these books, uh, well, at least the the core of them, there's this idea of the lies that we believe. You know, and so there's the lies we believe, and then there's a workbook that goes with that. That. I have purchased about eight different copies of to use for myself <laughs> or to give away to, to other people um, to use in, in the counseling situation. And uh, and then you've got the lies we believe about God. And then the one that we've taken most interest in lately because of the nature of this podcast, the lies that we can believe that we believe in marriage. That's uh, right. We're, we're Chris Thurman fans here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that more than you know. Um, so, uh, so you've written these books, you've got this stuff. Uh, my question first is just a general question because, you know, Jesus does say, you know, the truth will set you free. And when we experience this and when we see other people latch on to truth, it really is so liberating. So if that is the case, why is it that we are so drawn to lies? Well, I, uh, I'm going to say a lot of things during our time together that... Mm-hmm. Um, may or may not be certainly perfectly accurate, but here's here's my take. Um, I believe that we come into the world with a broken mind. Um, so when I think about um, people coming into the world as little ones, I, I think our psyches are broken. I, I think our thinker is fractured. <laughs> And I think that from the get-go, we are battling that problem of a fallen bent to believe things that are not true. Mm. Uh, I do not believe in pop psychology's notion that people are basically good in the sense of that their thinker is basically rational, Mm. that it's basically uh, seeking after truth. So as negative as that may sound, I have kind of that view that, hey, right from the time we get here, we're not thinking correctly, we're not thinking rationally, we're not thinking accurately, and that from a spiritual warfare perspective, the enemy is happy as the father of lies to take full advantage of that. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. And and with this kind of shifting this, the lies we believe, it's obviously a theme for you. Was there ever a point like you had an aha moment that happened in your life where uh, just things started to come together and this is like how this thing became your thing, the lies we believe? Yeah, I would say that um, 
when I went off to graduate school uh, to get a master's in counseling, uh, that's when I was exposed to the secular approaches to counseling that were mm. focused on what's called cognitive therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was my introduction to this world of stinking thinking, um, the uh, fallenness of our minds. Now, they were obviously putting it from a secular perspective. So they they were not talking about uh, spiritual warfare. They were not talking about, you know, uh, God as truth. Uh, it was a secular approach. But I think it had a biblical core to it, which is as a man thinketh, so is he. Mm. Uh, so that's when my aha moment kind of hit me as a, uh, a young, younger person uh, mm. is like, you know what, this really makes sense to me that how you think the tapes that play in your head every day have a significant impact on your emotional health, mm. your interpersonal health. Uh, and then as a believer at that time, I obviously kind of integrated it with spiritual hell, uh, becoming a more mature follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then just the concept of truth, like, and, and throughout your books, you know, that's, uh, a, another theme, you know, is like, all right, you've got these lies in your head, combat it with truth, but, but specifically biblical truth, mm-hmm. right? Like find a verse in the Bible that you can meditate on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I think there is a, again, this could be my incorrect theology, but there's a sense in which God makes truth available to all mankind. And therefore, even if you're not a believer, you can pursue a better understanding of what core truths are out there on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um Beyond that, there are truths that God reserves for those who put their faith in Christ. So um, I'm not saying this very articulately, but I am saying that I have seen non-Christian people do a really good job of renewing their own minds, Mm -hmm. because if they are students of truth, uh, they can go out there and figure out things like to err is human, you can't please everyone, you know, those kinds of things that are true, that if they will believe that, they can be emotionally healthier and interpersonally more intelligent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beyond that, you know, it's the Holy Spirit's job to guide us to truth that isn't, um, you know, kind of seen as uh, truth by all people. And therefore, uh, for those who are followers of Christ, there's a huge advantage in terms of renewing the mind, the truth setting you free, and God empowering that process while we live out our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've found um, just like like if I am counseling with somebody and they just have this false notion in their mind, maybe, maybe it's like the the tape playing in their head thing, but it could also be the times where it's just like, you know, he said this to me and he did that because he was trying to make me mad. And mm-hmm. then to just ask that kind of question, like, is that the truth? Mm-hmm. You know, and so right. um, so even like that's a possible truth. He could have had that motive, but, you know, you don't know that. Like, all you know is 
these are the words he said. You know, right. and, and then you can kind of get there. And I, and I found, yes, definitely those biblical truths are so illuminating and helpful. But then sometimes just pressing people to discover <laughs> what is the truth. The core truth. That's such a God. It mm-hmm. can be those God works through those moments. Now, mm-hmm. um, uh, so one of the things that, that I mentioned that kind of struck me, because like I was excited, I think it was early pandemic time, and then I was kind of scrolling through Kindle, and and I saw the Lies We Believe in Marriage book, and I was like, what? Like, <laughs> And, and um, yeah, so, but then I, so I noted, I looked at the copyright dates, and there's like 26 years in between uh, the Lies, the we, lies believe. we Believe and the Lies We Believe in Marriage. So what... What prompted mm-hmm. writing the marriage book? Well, I think it was a further extension of my initial uh, writing efforts with the lies we believe. Uh, even in the original lies we believe, which came out in '89, uh, there was a chapter on relationship lies. Mm-hmm. So that was already in the original book. Mm-hmm. And then after I uh, wrote some other books, um, I think God kind of took me off the playing field for a while in terms of writing. Mm -hmm. And then a uh, opportunity came my way and uh, the publisher was interested in what did I want to write on next. Mm -hmm. And I was still interested in the faulty thinking uh, lies we believe area, but I wanted to do a more expanded version of the uh, couples that uh, the lies that couples believe, because I had been doing so much marital counseling, and I was seeing just how faulty uh, a lot of couples are in their thinking about marriage and how to have a healthy one. So. After all those years, that's what led to, um, you know, if I'm going to get back into the writing game, uh, I think I'll start off with a Lies Couples Believe book just to uh, get going on that. Okay. Probably got a few years of marriage under your belt by then, too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Holly and I have been married 42 years. And at the time, the Lies Couples Believe came out. uh, What was that like? Uh, 2015? Think we saw. 2015. <laughs> so let me get my math right. Yeah, we had been married for over 30 years by oh, that that's point, awesome. and yeah. I was able to see my own faulty thinking in my marriage to her, and uh, so it was it was the right time for me to write a book mm-hmm. for couples on the faulty thinking issue. Great. Okay. Well, um, kind of introduction we're going to talk about your actual book here if if your editor all right came back and said chris we're just going to make a 25 page booklet called the lie you believe in marriage what's one lie that you've written about that would kind of take center stage yeah that's a great question it's really hard to answer because (laughs) the the 10 that i cover uh in that book are also kind of core Mm -hmm. to marital disharmony um we agree i would uh, i don't know it's it's like picking from among your children (laughs) (laughs) we don't we don't have to make you do it if you can well let me let me go ahead and just pick one um to highlight here (laughs) 
I, I think I think the notion that marriage is supposed to make me happy. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's uh, a good you know, I, I think there is such a such a problem in how people fundamentally view relationships in general and marriage in particular. And I think, you know, all of us go into it with that kind of more secular notion that I'm going to find the person of my dreams, meaning that they're perfect, which they're not, nor are we. And I'm going to be walking on sunshine happy the rest of my life. Mm. And, um, you know, I really appreciate um, books that talk about how the the purpose of life is not for you to be happy. It's for you to mature. Mm. Um, and, And that's, you know, that's what I push on my couples all the time. It's like, guys, I appreciate that we want to be happy and I'm certainly not anti happiness, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but God, but God is using your marriage to try to grow you up. Mm -hmm. You know, he took you from being basically when I was a child, I thought, and I reasoned like one and uh, trying to move you into a full mature adulthood so that you can get along better. You know, if you want to get along better, work on your maturity level. Don't work on your happiness level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that would be the one I'd really emphasize is let's quit focusing on happiness. It's going to be it's going to be there to the degree that we can be happy on this side of heaven, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And that is so uh, – oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go, go ahead. Oh, just that's so good because I'm thinking, you know, and I'm – was a child and my children I'm thinking how fleeting happiness is you know when they that thing that was exciting is gone and then the next thing comes they're happy again but you know as an adult so much when we're not focused on the happiness isn't it when we are content and we're working hard and we're maturing that the happiness comes naturally you know out of a totally different source so that's really I really like anyway what you said so yeah well I know when we have our granddaughters over (laughs) spend uh spend the weekend with us you know much to their chagrin, I don't care about their happiness at all. <laughs> and I'm not going to watch 500 hours of Bluey on the TV that's right. because that's not fostering their growth, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about their maturity. So I do a lot of things to uh, that lead to them being happy. And I do a lot of things that, you know, it's like, that they are just not all that happy that pop won't indulge their every wish and whim. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I think far too many parents and far too many grandparents are concerned about their kids' happiness. I think far too many spouses are concerned about their spouse's happiness. And it's like, look, let's roll up our sleeves and grow up and we'll be about as happy as we can be. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a it's such a good point, and actually um, leads to a great segue into the next question because I I just I have been working with a couple lately, and um, just asked them this question because they they really had lost some things in their marriage, and and were to the point where they're talking about splitting up, and so as I asked them, so well. What, what is marriage? What is the purpose of marriage for you? And mm-hmm. then they kind of went through and they listed all of these things, but they didn't list the the happiness and the romance that they that they were at this point missing. And so I, I pointed out, you know, that that discrepancy. It's like, well, this is what you're saying marriage is about, but then but because you lost these other things, you think mm-hmm. you need to give your marriage up. Mm-hmm. And so there's like 
Um, Gap there. Yeah. Mm. And and so it's a lie that they were believing, but they didn't know they were believing. Like not on the surface. It was like, mm. it's like a, um, what are like a covert uh, kind mm-hmm. of way or I guess explicit. They weren't explicitly mm-hmm. believing it, but implicitly yeah. it was being applied to their life. And, and uh, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. So in, in the book, you've got 10 lies mm-hmm. and, and do you make the statement, you say that you believe that every, every couple believes all 10 of the lies on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But I, but it, like, when you read some of those statements, and like I, I've got here, line number seven is, my spouse should be just like me. You know, so I think you say that to a hundred people, you're going to have ninety of them that are going to say, no, I don't believe that, right? But then you start to <laughs> flesh it out and say, well, this is what I mean, or this is what this looks like played out, mm-hmm. and then they're like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, so. we do that, like, or we act <laughs> right. on. So, uh, can you, you speak to that? that? You know the the disconnect between like that, what our minds are seeing and saying or thinking we believe we to like how those beliefs actually become actions and, and expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great point. And um, I'm reminded of that verse, the heart is deceitful and wicked and beyond cure. Um, now I interpret that to mean a lot of things, but one is that we're prone to self-deception. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's what you're talking about is none of us, me included, are fully uh, aware of how bad our thoughts are mm-hmm. and that we don't think we believe things that are obviously false. We think, no, I don't think that way. And it's like, well, you may not think that way fully, but there is a part of you that in this case thinks your spouse should be exactly like you. And the way you can know that is when you run into conflict with them over the fact that they aren't like you, (laughs) that they don't have the same movie taste that you do. They don't have the same food taste that you do. They don't have the same decorating taste that you do. And when you get mad at them, you're basically saying you should think, feel, and act like I do. Right. So marriage has a really unique way of bringing your faulty tapes up to the surface. But yes, I believe every couple on the planet believes all 10 lies that are covered in this book. And I think they just believe them to varying degrees. But um, for anybody to say, no, I don't think that way, it's like you're just in denial to some degree that your thinker is that broken. Mm. Yeah. So how how do we get that, you know, save like... You know, a lot of people are hesitant to go see a counselor, and there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that aren't taking the time to invest in their marriage by reading books or listening to excellent podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yes. uh, you know, but it's like you think back even to like, um, you know, in the Bible, you've got David who has committed this uh, sin with Bathsheba and all the things that surround mm-hmm. that. And even when the prophet Nathan goes through and tells them this very, you know, this story that mirrors his situation perfectly. He, he doesn't get it. Right. And he's Mm -hmm. like that man, that man who did that, like, you know, terrible punishment (laughs) should happen. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Nathan's kind of like, that's you, like you are the man. And, um, so how important then it, you know, because we can be self-deceiving um, are these outside influences or, or what relationships do we need outside of a therapist right. or a, an author 
um, where we can be speaking truth into each other's lives. And siege. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Well, outside of a counselor or an author, um, you know, I think the bottom line is. I think you have to decide, you know, do you really want to know the truth? Hmm. I, I think you have to really stop, take a deep breath. And before you go off any other direction, you have, if you're a follower of Christ, for sure, you have to ask yourself, do I really want God to illuminate me? Do I really want him to hold up a mirror as to how bad my thinking is misaligned with the mind of Christ? Am I ready to go there? Because it's a real beat down emotionally in terms of how painful it is to realize how off your mindset is how arrogant it is, how prideful it is. So I think the wise believer obeys scripture in the following ways. Study to show thyself approved. Okay, you have to be in the word of God. Okay, if you're not in the word of God, the Holy Spirit can't have as much access to your broken thinker, right? Mm. So you really have to pursue a greater knowledge of scripture. You have to acquire more knowledge of what it's saying. Secondly, you have to meditate on it day and night so that it goes from being intellectually true mm -hmm. down into your gut. Okay. And then the other, another discipline that is required is you have to fellowship with the saints because it's in iron sharpening iron relationships that people can hold up mirrors as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I think a person has to really ask, do they genuinely want God to hold up his mirrors about their thoughts, about their feelings, about their will, and as to how broken all three are? Um, and then, you know, the other statements that come to mind in the counsel of many, there is wisdom. So that's why I think it's uh, important for a couple or an individual to read a lot of books, because that's a form of counsel. Uh, to be in somebody's counseling office who's competent and biblically solid. Uh, I think God has vast resources at his disposal for renewing the mind. But it's like that joke, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> One, but it's really got to want to change. <laughs> okay. And I see a lot of people who come into my office and they don't really want to change. They want to be changed. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's very disappointing to them when I say, hey, I love you and I care about you, but I, I cannot change you. You have to decide if you want to change and if you want to humble yourself and, and repent, for lack of a better word, of these ways of viewing God and yourself and people and reality that are really costing you dearly and costing the people around you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, those are all, those are really excellent points. Um, definitely appreciate that insight. Uh, and, you know, the, the, those four disciplines that they are mentioned um, at the, at the end of the book, Each in the chapter. closing yeah. chapter, uh, and then some really great uh, ideas for each lie, you, you know, you've got a system of mm -hmm. kind of processing each one of those things. If somebody does pick up the book and read the book, um, but, but good insights. Thanks for those ideas. Now, um, Cassie started this thing off by, well, in the middle, I guess, asking about if you had to just, if you, if your editor said, all right, you can only do one, 
you know, what would that be? But she's got a, a follow-up question to that. Yeah, I was thinking about it because so often we'll have a project or we'll write something or have a conversation and then after it, two hours later, you're like, oh, you think of like, or you do, you know, Rob will do a sermon or he'll say, oh, like he'll think of something a couple of weeks later. That would have just been so perfect to put in there. So my question was just, do you have an 11th lie that didn't make the cut or <laughs> more like, you know, since then, seven years ago or whatever it's been that you, it's come up or post pandemic even where you're like, oh, this, this would have been a really good one to also put in there. So we just wondered about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking through it right now to make sure I didn't cover this already. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Yeah. It I, must be extra I, great if you did already. I, I haven't read my own books in years, <laughs> but um, I think if I were to put in more clearly and formally an 11th lie, it would have to do with I'm entitled to my spouse's love. Hmm. Okay. I really see entitlement as one of the most destructive mindsets that we can go through life with. Hmm. Um, and I think it's a real killer of marital closeness. Hmm. So that attitude of entitlement, other words for it that people use when they're really saying I'm entitled or I expect you to fill in the blank, I hmm. demand, hmm. I'm owed. Those are all code words for I'm feeling entitled mm -hmm. to you treating me a certain way. And so uh, that leads to a lot of bitterness and resentment because frequently people don't give you what you think you're entitled okay. to. And the, the emotional consequences, you feel bitter, you feel resentful, and then you start counterattacking the other person. Uh, and it just really goes south on people pretty quickly when they have any whiff of entitlement in their mind. And so I, I teach my couples, you know, I want you to switch from I'm entitled to I would like. Mm -hmm. Can you make that one switch? Like I'm that. entitled to affection from you to I would like a hug. Mm. I'm entitled to being treated more respectfully to I would like to be treated more respectfully. Mm-hmm. To me, if you can make that switch in your mind and your heart, then you're you're sparing yourself a lot of resentment and bitterness. Yeah. And you're treating your spouse with much more respect uh, because they're not here, you know, as some kind of lap dog to give you what you think you're entitled to. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that would be the one that I'd go into more detail about, more depth about. I love that. It made me think of my one of the lines I loved, and I couldn't tell you which lie, but uh, you had said, uh, wouldn't we need if, you know, when we prayed for to God to help fulfill our needs, if we actually prayed specifically that our spouse mm -hmm. would fulfill a need? I don't know. It just made me think of that mm -hmm. in there, too, and like the language you used versus like feeling entitled and like demanding or saying you deserve it and just kind of more of like, well, here's a need I would love for this to be yep. met by you. But anyway, that that's really neat. And hey, if you want to talk more about that, we'll just do another podcast and you can flesh that out instead of writing another <laughs> book. <laughs> all right. That, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, all right. So we, we um, will kind of coming to a close here. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we really try to emphasize is that people who do listen to the podcast, that they don't just listen, right? Mm -hmm. that, that we always want there to be at least one thing they can take away nugget. and something they can, they can actually do 
in their life this week that will make their marriage better. So it could be a conversation mm-hmm. that they would have with their spouse, a question that they would ask, a confession that they would make, you know, anything like that. So along these lines of everything we've been talking about, is there something that uh, that would be just a, a very simplified, like one one thing that they could take and, and put into practice this week? Well, I think um, what I would hope is that they would take away what we are saying is the central theme of our time together, which is the notion that what you think has a dramatic impact on how you feel, how you and how you behave, and thus on your emotional health and your health, your, your relational health. So I would want them to take that thought, not that they haven't had it before, but that important thought of be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you're going to go back into your marriage today, you know, maybe that would be what you could share in a humble way with your spouse is, hey, I heard something today that really provoked me. It was about the notion of stinking thinking, the lies we believe. And I want us to perhaps embark on an effort to surface our faulty thinking more consciously and really humble ourselves before each other that we need to work on the renewing of our minds if we're going to renew our marriage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be the thing I'd want them to take. Yeah, because this really is a journey. You know, it's it's not a single conversation or a an epiphany mm-hmm. and then it's and then you're right. changed forever yeah. it it is a work in progress and a consistent mm-hmm. like because some of the old lies that maybe we overcome creep back in that's right, <laughs> Things like that. that's right. yeah it's it's an all the way to the grave phenomena guys i'm 69 years old and i am still working every day on how broken my thinker is <laughs> and so uh, you know you're never you never finish that particular phd right mm-hmm. it's uh yeah i'm in the classroom the whole time I need the Holy Spirit every day to help me to think correctly. And, um, you know, I'm not going to get to a perfect set of tapes before I get taken home, but um, I sure want to improve in how I'm viewing reality. That's yeah. right. And and so, yeah, if, if, if there are couples that are listening, you know, they're thinking about that, then this week that could be their conversation is just, is there one thing that we could both identify that we could put our fingers on that is just a lie that we do believe, whether it's looking at your outline in your book or just thinking on their own and having that conversation. Um, but yeah, and is there anything future that you're currently working on right now, another book or a project? Well, you are a wonderful person to ask. I appreciate that. I actually am. Awesome. Um, I had a book come out recently so that it's already out called oh. Pop's Advice, which is a book okay. I wrote to my grandkids. We just saw that. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that one's out. Now, the book I'm working on currently that will be coming out, I hope, in May is called Emotionally Healthy Christianity. Hmm. Okay. And good. the subtitle is Following in the Psychological Footsteps of Christ. Nice. Ooh. And this book is about... Christ, you know, we think of him, and we we should, as a morally perfect person. But this book is really saying, 
not that you can separate morality out from psychological stuff or spiritual stuff, but this book is saying he was psychologically perfect. Okay. And these are the 10 ways, I'm sorry, the 12 ways that he, we are to follow in his psychological footsteps. Hmm. Uh, so that's what this book is about, is how can we, as followers of Christ, be more emotionally healthy by doing, uh, practicing these 12 habits of emotional health. Um, so I'm real excited about this book, um, trying to do what I can to get the word out. I'm not some kind of big time author to where I have a large platform, mm -hmm. and therefore I'm just trying to spread the word. Mm -hmm. uh, so it'll be coming out in May. So exciting. Uh, and, again, uh, and again, it's on psychological health from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Well, by being on this podcast, at least 12 more people. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it just I, I, every every little step it helps. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for anyone and everyone. So <laughs> to understand all that. All right, man. Well, we definitely uh, appreciate your time yes. and, and your work, the way that you've let the Lord uh, work through you and, and I'm sure the, the people that you've counseled, um, but then by extension through these books. And like I said, not only have I benefited from them personally, mm -hmm. but have in numerous cases working with individuals or couples have used these principles of uh, just kind of unearthing the lies that we believe and combating them with biblical godly truths and it's a uh, it's a uh, you know just to see those aha moments those when people's eyes light up and they see it is just an incredible thing and so just appreciate you sharing that with us thanks so much well, yes my thanks to you for letting me be on your program i really appreciate it so that concludes the interview with dr thurman we really appreciate you uh, tuning in today uh, our episode is a little bit longer than our normal episodes have been uh, but we hope to bring you more of this kind of content in the future. And we definitely appreciate uh, Dr. Thurman taking the time out of his day to speak with us about this book. We're excited about it and excited about some of his stuff that he's working on that he shared with us. Uh, definitely, if you can get your hands on a copy of The Lies We Believe in Marriage or even The Lies That We Believe, I think that those are going to be really useful resources for you in your personal life and in your married life. Uh, and for you to not just help yourself, but to help others. So again, we definitely appreciate you tuning into this podcast and look forward to seeing you again next time.